0: Welcome, fellow survivors, to another episode of A Rail Tour of Post-Apocalyptic England. I'm your host and amateur eschologist Richard Alder. Last week we encountered the strange Neo-Victorian city and its resident superhero-slash-terrorist, Jacob McIntyre, and I still don't know what happened to him. Whatever had become a McIntyre, the captain had made an official report to the central government authority. Either the city will become part of the New England that the CGA builds or if resettlement is not considered an option, they will try to evacuate it. I try not to think about the second option. The reach of the CGA grows every day, but so much of the world remains beyond its control, England being such a place. Most of the individuals who live in England are people who were trapped, left behind, abandoned, people who would much rather live in a modern, civilised society with laws, running water, brunch, and all the other things people under the CGA enjoy. But there are some people who have sought out this isolation who looked on the map for areas where the CGA's laws were meaningless. I'm sure you can imagine the sort of unsavoury individuals who would want to live in a place with no laws. This week's episode is about such people. Following on from finding a whole city where tens of thousands of people lived, we were eager to find more. And while it wasn't really a city, we did find something big. It was a vast complex of domes and cupoid structures all connected by tunnels and walkways, and the train tracks led right inside. Whatever else it was, it was new, built after the apocalypse. The captain was suspicious from the beginning, which increasingly seems to be her default setting, but investigating such a complex is exactly why we are here. The captain put us on, well, I would guess you would call it red alert, but as far as I could tell, all it meant was that a lot of people with guns were running around. And then she gave the order to move forward. As we neared the complex, every television screen, radio and mobile phone started broadcasting a message. This is not really very impressive. Similar technology is used to tell school children about snow days. But a pair of bright young things appeared on the television screen in my carriage. And started talking about the Haven Complex. And how it really was the best place in the whole world. A place where you could be yourself. Relax and be with people like you. There was something sinister about the pair. Their smiles showed too many teeth. Their big eyes were too open. They spoke in a very quick manner, and they seemed a little frantic. This was a recorded message, and it was hard to imagine what the overtakes must have been like. Clearly, it was meant to be inviting, but it completely failed in that regard. The train passed into the complex, and then came to a gentle stop. I ran to the window and looked out at an immaculately maintained train platform, and even though there was only one platform, a huge station that had been built to house it, as grand as any station I have ever seen, and I have seen a lot of train stations. I collected my things and got off the train, with Zofia joining me. I am sure you all remember Zofia, but for those who don't, she was a spy and assassin during the Napoleonic Wars. But when the timeline changed, she remained and found herself in apocalyptic England. In many ways, Sophia was far more useful than me, being both deadly and practical, and had already been embraced by many of the train's passengers and crew. The captain had asked for volunteers to explore, and Sophia, eager to demonstrate her usefulness, suggested we go. I had been working on excuses until I saw the train station and reasoned that anyone with such a grand train station couldn't be all that bad the station seemed rather like a folly clearly extravagantly expensive and over the top, not only from its size but everything was painted gold and silver and it projected a rather tacky sort of wealth, the sort of opulent display of money that fermented revolution at least in Zofia's opinion I objected more on the grounds of tastes than a strong belief in the redistribution of wealth. We left the station and walked through an underground tunnel to what was labelled the hub. Classical music was playing quietly all around us but only on a twenty second loop so it did not take long to become irritating. We reached a hub, and I was only mildly surprised to find the same smiling couple from the welcome video. If anything, the pair seemed even more unsettling in person. They fired welcoming pleasantries at us for about a minute before they got round to being useful. And what brings you to the haven today? the woman said finally. We're just visiting, said Sophia. The woman shook her head. I'm sorry, visitors are not allowed in the haven complex. Who was allowed, asked Sophia. Residents and staff? Well, we're interested in become residents, said Sophia. Residents are required to have a net worth of 50 billion marks, the man said, and then asked without irony or sarcasm, Do you qualify? Sophia had a habit of lying, so I jumped in first. No, we don't. How unfortunate, sir, said the man. I'm afraid you'll have to leave. Can we not just have a look round? asked Sophia. Our residents value their privacy, ma'am. We couldn't possibly allow it. I decided to play the last card I had, the one I only ever use in the most extreme circumstances. Well, I am a journalist. The pair looked at each other and then dived over the desk to get at me. I jumped back, stumbled and fell to the ground. The woman of the pair was on top of me, her hands round my throat. I struggled against her and tried to pry her fingers off me. Meanwhile, Zofia was fighting the man and doing much better than me. Somebody shouted for her to stop. The woman paused and front on me and looked up. A middle-aged woman had run over to us. They're my guests, the newcomer insisted. The man and woman considered this for a moment. Guests, said the woman staff member, and then looked at her partner. We've never had guests before. What do we do with guests? They said they were journalists. Yes, journalists, said our rescuer, but nice journalists. They're here to interview me. We want to do a profile, very good for publicity. Something in that explanation satisfied the man who went back behind his desk. Thank you, Miss Lee, said the man, we'll refer it to the accountants. He typed something into the computer at his desk, it will just be a moment. There was an awkward silence. The woman had loosened her grip slightly, but I knew she was ready to resume killing me at a moment's notice. The computer beeped. Ah, wonderful, said the man, that's been approved, Miss Lee, for the next eight hours they will be free to stay in the Haven Complex. The woman released me and stood up, smoothing down her uniform and taking her place back behind the desk. The strange smile was back on her face. ''Miss Lee!'' I said turning to the woman who had saved me. ''Could we go somewhere private for the interview?'' She nodded and led us away. People frequently ask me about how to be a well dressed gentleman during the apocalypse and I thought we could spend a few minutes now and then on the show discussing the issue. First things first, there is no such thing as fashion anymore. Most people are only interested in drab, practical clothing, or if they're in a more lawless area, some unholy mix of crazed biker and evil caveman. I've never been one to follow fashion, but like a broken clock being right twice a day, sometimes fashion has come round to what I happen to be wearing. The other reason fashion has been done away with is there's neither the manufacturers of clothes, nor the retailers to sell it to demand that industry. A lot of your clothes will need to be vintage, and if you ever find yourself in an abandoned house, check the wardrobes, as formal and even wear is something most looters ignore. While your fashion choices may be rather limited, I still don't believe in mixing formal and informal styles. Basically, do not wear a waistcoat with jeans. Hygiene and grooming should be maintained at as high a level as possible, and I know from experience, people do not like you using water rations to shave with, so bear that in mind. So many men nowadays have taken up beards, and I will say this. For many, it is sheer laziness. I do understand, I am nothing if not lazy. But civilization is all about making an effort. While I am always clean shaving, like being well-dressed, I think it sends a powerful signal when meeting new people. I do have an admiration for people who keep their facial hair well-groomed. Essentially, just don't look like you couldn't be bothered. Finally for this section, manners. Now this bit is especially for my fellow Englishmen and Englishwomen. Manners are still very important. Before the apocalypse, being polite and having good manners were two of the defining characteristics of the English. But remember, good manners are there to make people feel more comfortable, to make the world a more harmonious place, not to look down on other people. So always say please and thank you. Never worry about apologising too much. And if nothing else, cue. Even if no one else does it. Back to the narrative. Miss Lee led us away, telling us both not to say a word. She kept her voice quiet and her expression happy, but her tone convinced me to do as she said. We walked through a series of grand rooms, each far bigger than seemed necessary. Occasionally we passed a painting, a copy of something famous but enlarged to be 20 feet tall. Other rooms were packed with paintings, taking up all available wall space as if they'd been wallpapered in the great works. And everywhere you looked there was gold and silver, and occasionally chrome. There was a moving walkway along the path we took but we didn't use it so by the time we reached our destination I was quite tired. Eventually we entered a small room in which there was just a table and a couple of chairs. Miss Lee shut the door firmly. I asked her what was going on. Thank God you're here, said Miss Lee, who seemed to be on the verge of tears. And the whole story of the Haven Complex came out. Miss Lee was a wealthy woman. Very wealthy. Before the apocalypse she had been rich, and she had survived, and became even richer in the post-apocalypse. While the apocalypse was bad for everyone, it is undeniable that the very wealthy had a better life than others. It is a sad thing that in the worst crises the world has ever faced, from world wars, to depressions, to hurricanes, some people make a lot of money out of it. Miss Lee was one of those people. It's not that she was evil. She's a perfectly nice person, but she has a very business-orientated mind. Eventually though, these good times stopped. The Central Government Authority was established, and while this was a good thing, the very first thing they did was start collecting taxes. As I'm sure my listeners who live under CGA control know, they take tax collection very seriously. And in a rare thing for a government, being rich doesn't get you out of paying them. The CGA used everything from aerial drones to undercover tax agents to ensure taxes are paid and were rightly proud of their efficiency. I'm no economist, but I never thought the CGA tax system was particularly unfair, but Lee and the super rich fell differently. They were being asked to pay billions in tax and even though they were making tens of billions, they thought it unjust. So the super rich got together and followed a few different plans. And Miss Lee admitted that a coup was one of the early suggestions, but they eventually decided against that. Then one of them, Miss Lee claimed she couldn't remember who exactly, had reminded everyone about the good old days of tax havens. You up sticks and go live in some island with a more understanding tax policy and laugh at all the people too poor to do the same. But there was only one government now, one country, only the CGA. And then someone, again Miss Lee claims should remember, said, well why don't we just make one? So that's what they did. 200 of the wealthiest people in the world decided they would leave the CGA and go back into the apocalyptic world. Going back into the apocalypse is not unheard of and there are a number of reasons people do this. For some it is too loot and steel. others just want a world without rules. For some people it is the only life they have ever known. The CGA rescues them and they decide to go back. The super rich picked a site in apocalyptic England, more or less Birmingham and built a vast complex that would have everything they would need to enjoy life in luxury. The CGA were not blind to this problem and did not want people escaping their tax laws and as soon as this started their lawyers went to work. So Miss Lee and her friends put their faith in a very clever artificial intelligence accountant that would adapt with each law the CGA brought in. This artificial intelligence was the ultimate authority in running the Haven complex. So, for example, if the CGA passed a law that taxed luxury cars, the accountant could classify them as apocalypse escape vehicles, making whatever changes to the vehicles that were necessary. As fast as the CGA could legislate, the accountant was faster. It got even more complicated when someone pointed out that they would still all have substantial business interests back in the CGA world. Would having one AI accountant be enough? So everyone got their own artificial intelligence accountant. Dozens of them competing against each other, each trying to do whatever was necessary to maximise profits. The AI had even been programmed to take calculated risks, i.e. go so far as to break tax law if the reward was worth it. These laws only applied to assets that were still in CGA territory. Outside of that, there were no laws, and the AI was programmed appropriately. But they didn't just stop there. They also wanted to live in luxury, so they built suitably comfortable homes for themselves. They ran into a stumbling block with staff. They would need servants, of course, but also the myriad of support staff. Engineers, plumbers, guards. And they were worried about bringing hundreds, if not thousands of people to their complex to serve them. Poor people. People who might just get a little jealous of all this wealth. But as it turns out, it is not necessity that is the mother of invention, but a desire to avoid taxation. They turned to one resource that the world had in abundance. Dead people. They found a few thousand dead bodies and reanimated them. It isn't too hard to get hearts beaten and lungs breathing. The tricky part is intelligence. And for this, they had a wireless connection to the AI accountants. Once everyone had settled into the Haven Complex, they all felt rather pleased with themselves and for about all the money they were saving and the luxurious lives they would all get to live in the Haven Complex. No doubt some of them chuckled to themselves about how this apocalypse business wasn't all bad. It took four days for them to realise they had made a terrible mistake. Well, they had actually made dozens of mistakes, but two were especially bad. The AI accountants had two functions, maximise profits and allow the residents to live in luxury. To take the latter first, luxury is inherently relative. There is no item or service that can be judged luxurious in isolation. Nowadays hot water is not considered a luxury, but when only the rich could afford to properly heat their houses it was. The AI accountants quickly came to the conclusion that it was impossible for any of these billionaires to live in luxury. For luxury to mean anything, it had to be denied to some people. So that's what it did. The goods and services these people used suddenly began to be charged at astronomical prices. A loaf of bread cost a billion marks, a bottle of water 2 billion, and it didn't take long for some of these billionaires to become penniless. Then came maximisation of profits. I would say just about all the good things in life are in fiscal terms, very unprofitable. Ice cream, gin and cigars might be very nice but buying them for your own enjoyment is not very profitable. And of course these AI accountants had all been pitted against each other, each trying to maximise profits. Things had got out of hand very quickly. Miss Lee almost broke down explaining what had happened to her husband David. They were eating a meal together when the always unsettling undead staff entered the room and killed Christopher in a very matter-of-fact way, ignoring Miss Lee's orders to stop. He had been in the way of maximizing profits. Miss Lee needed to eat, but did her company need her husband? Evidently not. Two hundred billionaires and their families had entered the Haven complex. Just over a thousand people, but when we arrived there were less than a hundred still living in the complex. They had been here for nearly three months. Miss Lee was dressed in high-quality, expensive clothes, adorned with several extremely valuable pieces of jewellery. She had a hair stylist and a whole team looking after her. She lived in fantastic luxury, but it was still hell. People were killed every day by the cheery and helpful staff, who apologised for the pools of blood and dismembered bodies. So why did they attack us? asked Sophia. You said you were journalists, said Miss Lee. We were very clear about keeping them out. We didn't think they would kill them. She started crying uncontrollably, begging for us to help her. I asked her why she didn't just leave. We can't, she explained. We've tried. We have to spend nine months here for our tax status to be established. They won't let us leave before then as it would hurt profits. Sophia had very little sympathy for them. As far as she was concerned it was their greed that had gotten them into this mess so they could get themselves out. While I could see her point I did feel bad for them Although they probably should have watched The documentary 12 things to avoid When designing an artificial intelligence As it would have saved them a lot of problems In something of a stage whisper Sophia suggested We head back to the train without Miss Lee And I tried to work out the best thing to do From time to time I am asked about my opinions on other Post apocalyptic travel podcasts Which ones do I like? Which ones do I think are useful? The question always annoys me as I suggest that my own podcast isn't doing a good enough job. And also, we all know the market is flooded with post-apocalyptic travel podcasts. They're everywhere, everyone's got one. So as to defend the popularity of my own brand and to give people the opportunity to listen to some different types of podcast, here are some suggestions. Obviously, everyone should listen to This Apocalyptic Life. And I know everyone is always banging on about this, but there's a reason. It's amazing. The podcast is a mix of interviews, reportage, documentaries, fiction and more, all about life in the 13 colonies. Each episode will have a loose theme, so maybe zombies or UFO abductions, or even something that's not about the apocalypse at all. This is a long-running show. The first episode was released only a few months after the apocalypse began and it's worth listening to all the episodes just to get an idea of what life was like then. As there are literally hundreds of episodes, I suggest listening to episode 312, It's a Disaster, with the theme of disasters, which is at times chilling, uplifting and even funny. Their recent spin-off show, Surreal, is about some of the more outlandish events of the apocalypse and is also getting very good reviews. I'm a big fan of films, so naturally I listen to Riley and Smith's Cinema Update, a hugely popular podcast of movie news, reviews, and interviews, with Joseph Riley as the film critic and Haley Smith as the presenter. While not specifically about the apocalypse, as 80% of films being made now are either about or set during the apocalypse, it's very apocalyptic in nature. One feature they do is analyzing the genre of post-apocalyptic films that were made before the apocalypse and see how they match up with reality. The show is recorded on the small island of Shetland, which famously has maintained its annual film festival throughout the apocalypse. Solutions R Us is a weekly podcast that answers listeners' questions concerning the apocalypse. These questions can range from the deadly serious to silly questions about why zombies are called zombies. The show is hosted by Brian Deville and Samantha Bain, who are always funny and usually give good advice. I have learned a lot by regularly listening to the show, including how to get bloodstains out of clothes and why you shouldn't try to use nuclear weapons on zombies. Back to the narrative. An alarm suddenly went off. It was terrifyingly loud. Sophia jumped to her feet, ready for action. Is that because of us, she asked. Miss Lee shook her head and explained that that was the alarm for when someone's net worth fell below 50 billion. What happens then, I asked, quite sure it was nothing good. They're evicted, replied Miss Lee, and I could tell from the way she said it, eviction was not just being asked to leave. Miss Lee explained that they had no idea who was about to be evicted. Anything could have affected their net worth, fluctuations in the stock market, the change of value of currency, it could be anything, and it could be for any of them. It was a gentle knock at the door. We froze and said nothing. Miss Lee gripped her chair tightly to stop from screaming. The door slowly swung open, and a cadre of Haven staff stood there, armed with makeshift clubs and kitchen knives. "'Excuse me, Miss Lee. Have you seen Mr. Sloan, Mr. Kaiser, or Miss Sadiq?' Miss Lee shook her head. The staff member apologised, and left the room. As soon as the door was shut, Zofia became insistent we leave right now, and I agreed with her. "'Come with us,' I said. "'While they're hunting for the others, you might as well try.' We decided not to run, but were hardly calm and relaxed as we left. Everywhere we looked were small parties of reanimated staff seeking out the suddenly too poor residents. I could hear distant screams, but kept going. The alarm stopped and was replaced by a cheery voice asking all residents to go to the hub for an important update. That was where we were heading anyway, but we were soon joined by dozens of other people. Some were like Miss Lee in that they looked relatively intact, well dressed and healthy, but still looked like they were on the verge of a breakdown. There were others though, who looked like they had been living on the streets, dirty, their clothes in rags, people who presumably could no longer afford the goods and services they needed and were surviving as best they could. As we reached the hub, I noticed a few people seemed to be asleep in hospital beds, brought to the hub by the reanimated staff. Miss Lee explained that they were in a medically induced coma as their accountants had decided they were spending too much money. The two staff members who had greeted us earlier were still at their desk and addressed the crowd. Good morning, residents, the man said. We've completed the eviction of three people who were found not to have sufficient funds to retain their residency, and we will have the mess cleared up as soon as possible. A few people in the group had started crying. I began edging nearer to the tunnel that would lead us back to the train. The staff then went on to explain that the accountants were recalibrating the system in light of the slightly smaller population and explained that there would be changes in things like prices of items, that sort of thing. I began to notice a lot of people looking at us and whispering and as I suppose seeing new people must have been quite a novelty. It was then that I said something to Zofia, something that was not a good idea to say. People are looking at us like we're here to conduct an audit. I heard the last word repeated all around me as it passed through the crowd. If there is one word not to say in front of a homicidal accountant solely devoted to avoid and pay a tax that word is ordered. The pair talking at the front stopped and there was a stressing moment of silence. At the edge of the group staff members began to form a circle around everyone. Very quickly people moved away from us while the staff closed in. The staff were motionless for a moment while the AI accountants decided what to do. Eventually one of them stepped forward. McClintock was not declaring all of his income The staff member wheeled round and pointed at an overweight man who was presumably McClintock. Then another stepped forward and shouted out that Miss Lee had assets still under her dead husband's name and after that it descended into a cacophony of accusations and counter accusations about the improper actions of their competitors. The different AI accountants took control of whatever staff members they could and in less than a minute the accusations had ceased and the fighting had begun with the staff members tearing each other apart. Dead bodies that have been scientifically reanimated are actually quite hard to kill. Unlike zombies, not even destroying their brain will kill them, as the brain is inactive. In the end, it comes down to literally ripping them apart. I didn't stay to watch the reanimated staff kill each other. Part of me was worried that at some point the AI accounts might decide the best way to deal with undercover tax agents would be to kill them rather than sell each other out, so we quietly left. Miss Lee hadn't even thought about running and instead, like many of the residents, had joined in the frenzied fighting. Batman board the train where he explained it was probably best not to hang around. We'll leave it there for now. Until next time, fellow survivors, I'm Richard Oliver, and this has been a real tour of post-apocalyptic England. At the End of the Line was written and recorded by Richard Oliver. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes. Follow the show on Twitter at PostAPOCPodcast. Anyone wanting to submit questions, ask for advice or make urgent pleas for help should tweet us or send an email to at the end of the line podcast at gmail Today's advice is don't pay too much attention to common sense. That's what caused all this trouble in the first place.